Hi, welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle, hot off the press podcast, where we bring you the latest higher ed news and stories twice monthly. I'm Joe Trano. I'm joined by my co-host, Chase Good. We are with the Barry Dunn Higher Education Management and IT Consulting Team. Chase, how are you today? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing good. It's good, um, good, good to be with you again. On today's podcast, we'll share a look at six technologies and trends impacting the future of higher ed from the Educause Horizons report, and we'll also talk a little bit about space planning post-pandemic and a tough year some higher ed tech companies have had. So very exciting topics here. So let's get started. What's the latest that you're seeing? Yeah, Joe. So getting right into it, you know, you mentioned the uh, Educause Horizon report, which covered six emerging trends and technologies that are impacting the future of higher education. Um, getting into some of those trends and technologies that they covered. So the first one was AI for learning analytics. So that's artificial intelligence machines that are using large amounts of institutional data to generate insights and help institutions uh, plan learning experiences for students. Now, there have been some uh, challenges, you know, implementing some of these tools. Uh, primarily from you know data silos, lack of integration between systems, and institutional cultures, which may present some barriers to effectively using that technology. However, the benefits of using AI for learning analytics is is you know definitely being seen uh, across the landscape. Um, another trend that they've uh, they covered was uh, using artificial intelligence for learning tools. So, you know, the report covered some potential benefits, such as improving student learning experience through automated and responsive feedback, customized learning experiences and pathways, and more authentic simulations of real-world scenarios. Um, so, some examples of these technologies include Nuance, which is a speech recognition software, Alta by Newton, which is an adaptive learning technology for higher education, which helps identify gaps in student knowledge, and Cogni, which is a virtual learning assistant. There are uh, many other vendors that are operating in this marketplace uh, currently, and you know, we're definitely going to see uh, you know, that, that area continue to grow as more schools uh, begin to use uh, artificial intelligence to help um, you know, build student learning experiences. And both of these tie very nicely into the third trend, which they covered, which is the you know, development and emergence of hybrid learning spaces. So, of course, with, you know, driven by the pandemic and the shift to remote learning, um, effectively de- designing hybrid spaces for education, you know, is something that institutions are, you know, being required to do. And it's not necessarily an option or something that they can do, you know, on their own time as, you know, these needs are are changing quite dramatically. You know, it still requires practitioners to invest time to get out of the weeds and connect back up to higher higher notions of pedagogy. Um, But, you know, regardless, it it does pose um, some potential benefits um, for those students who are learning in non-traditional methods. But speaking of that, that, w- that was the another trend that they you know covered in detail was the mainstreaming of these hybrid and remote learning modes. So you know, as we just mentioned, developing spaces and using AI for you know learning analytics as well as learning experiences requires um, you know some of those learning spaces to really be changed, and you know the adoption of um, you know broader methodologies for how to teach students in a hybrid environment. So those those are often come with um, you know different trends 
changes and, and shifts in culture, uh, as well as expectations from students and faculty. And certain, in some, you know, ways that this is being seen is through micro credentialing, which is not a not a new um, practice, but is something that's also gaining a lot of traction as you know institutions are rethinking their you know traditional degree pathways and and how to you know meet students at their needs and and how to address those students who may not have the ability to attend class full time is, you know, how do they, you know, sub, uh, how do they segment courses so that, you know, certain aspects of them can be used for certifications or for continued education, you know, micro-credentialing is certainly making a comeback as we've seen. And so all of these kind of come with the uh, understanding that there's going to be an investment that's required from the institution into their faculty and into their staff so that they can effectively use those technologies to the best of their abilities. You know, it, it's a significant investment to retrain, you know, any employee on how to use a new environment or a new system or a new tool. Um, but those investments really have a high potential for reward, you know, in the future if they are, are successful in adopting that new culture and, and really trying to, you know, serve students to the best of their abilities. Um, you know, as it, as it mentioned, uh, it's, uh, it's, an effect, it's an effective, you know, investment into in order to engage hybrid and remote learning students. And, um, you know, it's definitely something that we can continue to see moving forward. Yeah, th these... These technology trends are, are really exciting. And, um, you know, we certainly have been hearing about them over the last few years. I think um, certainly the training aspect is, is really, really key um, as faculty are expected to, um, you know, to, to utilize this, this technology and be able to understand it and how to apply it towards their, um, you know, their teaching. The students, I think, um, certainly... Uh, We'll have an opportunity to to learn some of these new uh, new technologies as well, but I think they're probably more apt to picking up more quickly uh, or being more open to some of these newer technologies, just because of the inherent nature of technology with uh, the younger generation just growing up with it. You know, for example, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few years. But I, I certainly. Um, agree that the professional development piece for faculty is, is going to be key in really getting uh, adoption um, as well as new, um, maybe new innovation and in how these tools can be applied to teaching and learning. So it's very exciting. And uh, hopefully we hear a little bit more about, about these over the next few years. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. You know, students are definitely coming at this with a different perspective than a lot of faculty and staff, especially when you consider the fact that students are coming from, you know, multiple, you know, locations across the country whenever they're attending a college or a university. You know, a lot of them will have already had an experience with remote or hybrid learning, especially in high school or mm -hmm. in other, you know, avenues. So, you know, they may, there may be a little bit of an experience imbalance in the, you know, on the favor of of the students where they may be a little bit more accustomed to some of those technologies yeah. than maybe some of those employees. I, I have a good story about that. You know, we, we did some work for a client, um, a university and I won't name them. Um, but during the assessment, it became very clear that one of the challenges that students were facing is they were coming to the school and having to um, really down, not downsized so much, but really um, they were complaining about the 
technology being less than um, what they were used to from their high school. And so the um, digging more into the, um, the challenges that we heard from students, what we found is that the high schools in that area um, were really ahead of a lot of the universities in that area. And um, they invested significantly in, in really cutting edge technology. And so students were graduating and then attending these universities and they had to actually go back to uh, older technology. And so that's, that's just, it just tells you that, um, and, and this isn't true across the board, but certainly there are high schools that have the funding uh, and the resources to, to really be very innovative uh, as it relates to new technology. And in some cases they may be um, in a, you know, far in advance of some of the universities and, and colleges that are in their areas. So just an example. Yeah. And I think we're also seeing some other trends, you know, aside from technology and learning experiences in higher ed, you know, there's also been a massive shift in how uh, colleges and universities are thinking about their utilization, utilization of space uh, on campus. So, there was a recent article posted by University Business, which uh, discussed three methodologies of how universities are changing their way, the way that they think about using space on campus. So the first example that they provided was how departments are now being asked to either buy or lease space uh, on behalf of the university. So the University of Missouri Director of Space Planning has aimed to cut one million square foot square feet of space at the school. Um, so they've switched to an allocation model where each academic unit uh, has paid for its own space as opposed to, pool, to a pool of general operations funding. So thinking about how the, the shifts of moving to a hybrid uh, both work environment and a learning environment has, you know, caused different, you know, needs uh, to arise in terms of space and how space has been freed up. And, and, you know, there's an opportunity for universities to kind of pull back a little bit and not have uh, so much space allocated, um, you know, for single usage or, or for, you know, certain areas, you know, how they can most efficiently kind of manage the the real estate that they already have to, to meet the needs of their students and their employees. So this is also uh, another topic or trend that was covered was, you know, an evolving flexible workforce. And I kind of just touched on this, but you know, Stanford University has, uh, you know, begun adopting the same practice that we're seeing in corporate America, where, you know, they're stepping away from a more traditional office space model where you have an assigned desk, or maybe, a, you know, a series of cubicles for your department, and they're really trying to adopt a more open, flexible um, working space. So where you see, you know, certain companies are going with a higher with a with a hoteling model or a hot desk model where, you know, people can kind of set their schedules in terms of when they're going to be in the office and when they expect to use a desk, that's really helping them um, kind of plan how to best allocate that space. And then there's also been some trends where there's been classroom redesign around the student rather than the instructor. So this is primarily driven by the studies that have shown that uh, traditional lecture halls are not conducive to discussion and can ignore students' unique learning needs. So single purpose buildings are considered to be behind the times in, in many scenarios. And so some small 
smaller um, private or more public universities have started to use um, kind of multi-use uh, learning spaces, thinking about how they can have indoor and outdoor campus spaces or multi-purpose rooms that serve as a gateway uh, to the world outside of the smaller college campus. So spaces that are more conducive to open discussion, spaces that are hybrid, you know, in nature, as we've already discussed. And this is not necessarily a new concept, but it's likely a growing trend moving forward is, you know, the reimagining of space at the university level. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting um, news story. And I, I would say that the pandemic likely accelerated this um, repurposing. I, I think it's a long time coming. I think we were heading in that direction, just with more remote options, with a shift towards campuses that are uh, really able to address all of the needs of students, not just a, a single group. And, you know, I think the pandemic really helped accelerate that. And I think we'll see continued change over the next few years, especially as it relates to space. And I think the easy, the easy one is, um, you know, the repurposing a space because of remote, you know, work environments that seems to really support the, the need to, you know, address the, the empty, empty buildings, empty offices, and the hoteling is, is a good example of, of repurposing that and maybe even more focused on student, uh, student space. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting trend uh, to keep an eye on. So that's good. What else you got? You got one more, you got one more story, right? Yeah, one more. And, you know, <laughs> we, it seems like, you know, an underlying theme of this episode has been just the effects of the pandemic and how mm -hmm. the past few years have really caused a lot of shifts, both in the ways that universities are thinking about their, you know, educational experience that they're offering to students, as well as how they're operating at the campus level. Um, but taking a step back, thinking about some of the market trends that we're seeing. So it's really been a tough year for some of these public education companies. So these are companies that make, sell, or manage education products or services, or even can run schools in certain cases. And they've really had some mixed results over the past year. So um, companies like Coursera, Chegg, Desire to Learn, and Grand Canyon Education have seen shares fall since the start of 2021. And this is uh, the only one that's increased, in fact, was uh, Pearson. So there's, you know, a, a lot of different factors that are coming into play here. But, you know, the report really got into detail about how pandemic learning was originally supposed to submit education technology, not just as a good option, but as the only option uh, for how schools could continue to progress moving forward. But what they've seen in a lot of these publicly held education companies is that the, the leadership at some of these companies may not have, uh, you know, a substantial background in education or in teaching. And that can actually impact their perception of value or investors' perception of value of their product. So there's been a trend, you know, that these owners of the companies, um, you know, may want to shift their focus uh, towards a more education-centered uh, or teaching-centered, um, you know, executive leadership board. Um, so in order to kind of help soothe some of investors' worries about the value add of their products, um, so there's, you know, likely to be a little bit of a shift going forward as, you know, these companies are trying to uh, manage growth expectations and really, you know, cement a, a foothold in the marketplace. Yeah, I'm familiar with a few of those companies. I know that Pearson 
is a large diversified uh, organization. They have a lot of different services that they that they provide, uh, and even um, software uh, uh, products. I'm curious what uh, what reason was cited for the Pearson increase of two percent. Yeah, that's a great that's a great comment. That's a great question. You know, as you mentioned, Pearson has a substantial market share in higher education technology, and as you mentioned, they they are incredibly diverse in their uh, service offering. Um, the The report actually cited that the um, textbook printing industry that Pearson operates in is is a key driver of some of that growth. In fact, it was you know noted as that specific industry was very uh, stable in terms of revenue generation on a yearly basis because many of those textbook contracts have you know multi-year contracts that you know may not change as much as you know some of these purely uh, technology based companies. So you know of course the the market presence is a, is a key factor, but also having that sustainable, solid revenue source that, you know, can really help, you know, manage growth expectations. You know, that's, that was definitely a reason that we've seen, you know, a mm-hmm. little bit of growth from Pearson. Yeah, very interesting. Well, uh, Chase, these, these are some really great news um, stories that you shared today. And I'm excited about um, seeing what, what's uh, possible over the next few years, certainly around uh, I think space planning uh, and even these technology trends, very, really, really cool stuff, really innovative. And it's just going to be really, really interesting to see what education looks like in 10 years from now. So um, thanks for sharing those stories. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Joe. For our listeners, if you wish to read more about these news items, please refer to our show notes for links to these stories. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google. Check back in two weeks with Chase and I for more higher ed news and stories. Until then, stay well.